Hi, this is Jesse, and we're on Red Cloaks Radio. Um, today, I am joined by someone on the road. I'm Martha. I'm on the road. I'm from the Boston Red Cloaks. Thank goodness for technology. And we are picking up our conversation with Laura as our guest today rather than hosting. Hey, Laura. Hello. I, I understand you have new headset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I should be uh, piloted, piloting a plane. Awesome. My daughters. Oh, lovely. Well, so we just had a really great conversation talking to some teens and thinking more about what it's like for teens today in Massachusetts. What is realistic about the education they get at school in terms of sexual health? And we're going to pick up our conversation now talking more about that. Um, so, Laura, I'm really interested in what you heard in the teens that we talked to. We got voices from suburban schools to start the conversation and i'm wondering how their perspective matches with what you've seen because you've seen a much broader swath of teens from the state i think that that what we heard from them was that they that all three of them go to uh, really good schools and um you would think that their education was um consistent and thorough and that's not what we heard no we really heard some gaps we also heard um yeah well actually you tell me how you heard it because you heard it probably with much better perspective i thought wow there's a lot that is not being taught yeah that's the same thing i thought too martha what did you think so my take on on what i got from the girl is that it's it feel comfortable talking about sex or they think that maybe they, the kids will think something different about them if they have the, the sex talk. I don't know, maybe they, that's why they want to have the responsibility from somebody that is not on the school. They don't teach on a regular basis. Yeah, I get the feeling that a lot of schools are, um, you know, they'll teach the minimum and then they can say, oh, check that off. We did that. We're, we're doing great. Meanwhile, these kids aren't learning about pregnancy or... There was a parallel between what we heard from the teens and also what we heard from a state rep saying that some of her colleagues in the state house really don't understand uh, how reproduction works or how anatomy works or how abortion works. And I'm reminded that I was actually in my red cloak attire taking some photos at the beach with someone and a couple walked up who were probably in their 50s or 60s, and they were intrigued by the handmade outfit, and we had a conversation. Turned out they were tourists visiting Massachusetts from Florida, and we got into a little conversation about abortion and reproductive rights, and the woman, who was a grown person who was very interested in the idea of the symbol, said, um, when I explained about the part of the Roe Act that would allow abortion later in pregnancy for a fatal fetal diagnosis. What she said was, but wait, but you're saying if there's something wrong with the pregnancy, doesn't the body take care of that? Oh, wow. And I was really, um, she was very gentle. I was very gentle. She truly came from a place of not, it was very clear. She simply didn't understand. And she was an adult going through life thinking that if if a pregnancy is not viable, the body would naturally have a miscarriage or naturally resolve it. So 
we had a good conversation, but going back to our teens, I'm thinking about how that opportunity is here as a community for us to make sure that all genders understand how pregnancy right. works. And that makes me think about the how many schools are still offering the separated gender lessons on, you know, the big sex talk and, and how detrimental that is. So let's look at elementary kids and get some perspective from you. Elementary school, what would be appropriate for kids in elementary school to be covering? Appropriate to cover where, where babies come from. Um, and, and then you talk about, you know, infection control too. And it's, um, it leads slowly into sexually transmitted infections, but we're not talking really about that at that point. But washing your hands and making sure you're protected is sort of a, a lead into that. But the, even really young kids have questions about this stuff and they are seeing more and more. So they, they want to know like, wait, how did two, two men have a baby? And you need to be able to answer those questions. And so those conversations have to happen. And then as, as they move up to middle school, how does that conversation expand? Um, so, so when, when the brain grows and expands and, and kids are able to take on more detail and they're asking more questions, that's a big deal too. Like you, you, you give kids as much information as they're, they're asking, they're wondering about too. And the thing is, if you give them the chance, they will ask all these questions. So in middle school, we concentrate on puberty, what's happening to their bodies, why it's happening, you know, like, why do you start to smell? And why is your voice changing? And why are you having a period all of a sudden? You know, like, ah, I remember when I was, um, when I was in junior high, I, I got this really, like, I think it was a half an hour long. And it was a talk about what a period was. And it was just blood that was going to come out and you were going to need a pad and here's the pad. And we were all like, Oh my God, what does this mean? Am I going to bleed to death? <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> and you have to wonder if, um, if they segregate people by gender in elementary school and people really don't understand their own body, they're certainly not likely going to understand other bodies. No. And then that leads into how do you respect somebody? How do you have a relationship where you actually understand what's happening to them and, and um, yeah, respect and consent and all that kind of stuff that leads into deeper conversations later on. I was going to tell you that I, after I talked, after uh, the talk with the, with the girls, I, uh, I asked one of my daughters, and as I told you, we have lived all over the states. And uh, in Dallas, a school district, the, the class wasn't separated. And I found that very uh, interesting coming from, a, from Texas that it's so traditional and also mm -hmm. the person it was outsourced but it was outsourced from uh from the church mm -hmm. the pastor from our church gave the talk and it was my andrea and daniel thought that that was really amusing that is interesting i mean <laughs> i feel like that we talked about that separation of church and state that's fascinating to me, though, that, the, that someone from the church would come into a school. Yeah, that is very different. And it was a public school, Martha? 
Yes, it was. It was the uh, Louisville Independent School District. And also middle school, they it was everybody together. That part is progressive, right? That's a good thing that, that exactly. Together, and, but but then... this is going to as I as I said before, and I thought Massachusetts was so progressive and so liberal and so different. And well, no, it's not. <laughs> and it totally depends on what part too that there are some parts exactly. that are really trying hard um, to either provide this education or they're, they're contracting out like, you're, like, like you were talking about, Martha. How does the parameters expand when students reach high school? What would be appropriate once they're at that level? So what's appropriate and what happens is that's a big, huge um, gap, I think, most of the time, but, um, but kids should really be learning about um, about consent, about um, like how to be responsible digitally, you know, how, how to, how to um, conduct themselves on social media, um, sexual assault, sexual um, harassment, pregnancy options, um, contraception, STIs, self-esteem, it all goes together. But it's just taking that uh, the, the stuff that you begin later and just building on it, building on it until you get really deep in high school. But that really depends on the school district. I've, I've taught in schools where I couldn't answer a single question. <laughs> and I had to tell kids, I, 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 I really understand your question and that's a good one. And if you want to see me after school in the health center or whatever, that, that we can do that, but I can't answer your question right now. That sends a really strange message to students, because if you're in a school setting and you have a question about math, you ask your question, you get an answer. You have a question about the book you read, ask a question, get an answer. So in terms of teaching the taboo, that's such an explicit example that you're sharing. Yeah. Yeah. That's astounding. Well, and especially, so going back to this, the, the conversation that we had with the three teens, they are all in the suburbs and um, they're, I, I, I wish I would have asked them about their access because it's terrible. You know, you'd think that in the suburbs with kids with more money, they would have a little bit more access or they wouldn't have those worries, but they're further out. A lot of these health centers that serve teens in confidential care, and uh, abortion type services, reproductive health are in the cities. And so you get further out into the suburbs and then the rural areas and these kids don't have access to this stuff. So, you know, even if they were learning about it, where, how do you access it? Where do you, where do you get it? And, and they need those questions answered too. We talked a little bit in that interview about the youth risk behavior survey, yeah. often called the YRBS for short. And that is now administered at middle school level as well. And I would unpack a couple things with you here. One is going back to what you talked about, what's appropriate in middle school. We know from the survey results that middle school students become sexually active. So if the health education is not really caught up, then they are, unless their family is providing accurate information, which they may not be because they may have an assumption that their children are not sexually active at that age. So 
there's a little complication there in terms of who's getting education and where is the education coming from. And I think they mentioned looking things up on the internet. So I'm curious about your take on that. I think that is, um, that should be woven into the education, right? If you know which websites to go to, um, then you're, then you're apt to, to at least be able to educate yourself a little bit more. I'll never forget this one story. This was like years and years ago, but, um, we were talking about, I was talking with a class about where do you get your information from and how do you, how do you access it? And this one boy said, oh my gosh, I, I looked up, I, <laughs> he looked up, um, I think he was just uh, looking for things for a Christmas list or something. He was like, oh, where do I get my ideas? And, and he looked up boy toys and uh, got, oh yeah, he got a big, huge lesson on stuff. So <laughs> you, you really have to be careful what images you're looking up or what websites you use. And, and there are so many really, really good ones out there um, that will give a kid, especially in you know, isolation during COVID, some really good information. When people don't know where to turn for help, whether it's middle school or high school, there's the internet. And then in Massachusetts, we also have what some people would call fake clinics. So there are also plenty of places out there that are private nonprofits that are run as pregnancy counseling spots, especially maybe in the suburbs. I don't know if there's this, I don't know if it's more or less in rural areas, suburbs or cities, but certainly they're out there. Um, and they purport to be offering counseling to anyone who finds they're pregnant in a confidential way. And it might almost sound the same way, say, a Planned Parenthood clinic might sound. But then, in fact, if you check out their website, you may find that abortion's not an option at all that's presented. And that that's where teens may go. So in this whole setting of where we are with where the public schools are, how the frameworks are not all that specific or not there at all, um, there's also been the funding cutbacks where health educators were lost across many districts. And then you add to it that if someone does find out as a teen that they are pregnant, they have to either go to their parent or go to court. So what's your take on that as a health educator? I, I really, uh, this is why I do this stuff. I really feel like it's got to be available and done right. And, it, you know, research shows, I mean, it's, it's, it's been proven time and time again, that if you give people education and the knowledge, then they can make better decisions. And I even think about how we tell them to empower themselves to um, ask the right questions when they go to their regular doctor. Because a lot of these kids don't even know that they can get confidential care or, you know, they can ask their doctor about birth control or anything else. Like we need to give them these tools so that they can be healthier adults. And it's just, you know, with the youth risk behavior survey, this stuff is showing this. I mean, kids are having sex in seventh grade, sixth grade, fifth grade, you know, it's happening and we can't ignore it and yet we do so yeah I, baby steps i guess we <laughs> we we make these baby steps but um we still have a long way to go so what do you see as the strength of passing the row act oh my gosh i i just think that um we also don't give our teenagers enough credit 
and enough choices and um, enough trust. And if if we pass the Roe Act, we're telling them that we have faith in the fact that they 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 need this help. They are they're getting. We already have so many hoops for them to jump through. I'm, and I go back to the, the suburban kids or the rural kids that are far away from a health center that they can get help from. We, they already have to figure that whole system out. And, and we know that teens are procrastinators too. So they're already, you know, having trouble with what they're going to do. And we're going to put one extra step in there. Um, I just think it'll, in the end, our teams will be a lot healthier and a lot more informed if we pass the Roe Act. Really appreciate your take on this. You spend a lot of time with youth across the state. Can you just remind us of different places that you've worked? Um, across the state, I've worked in the towns of Cambridge, Somerville, Malden, Medford, Everett, Concord, um, and Needham. Yeah, so you've seen quite a few kids. So how did you get involved with Red Cloaks? How did I get involved with Red Cloaks? Gosh. Uh, the very first time I saw you guys, I was like, I, I was so taken aback emotionally. You were, I don't know if it was you personally, two Red Cloaks. I saw two Red Cloaks in the middle of Concord and I drove past and I saw these two women. It was um, uh, protesting Kavanaugh. And I thought, oh my gosh, I love these people so much. And I thought, they're so brave. And that is exactly where I should be right now. And, um, and I, I, I got out and I took pictures and I told these two people how much I love them. And then I drove on and I, I forget how I got the, I, I went home and like crazily looked up stuff. And at that point, Red Cloaks didn't have a whole lot of information and all I could find was the stuff in Texas. <laughs> I'm like, nope, I can't do that. But, um, but anyway, um, I, it was probably through uh, Kate Kavanaugh or someone where um, the opportunity came up and I seized it. Well, it's brought some really amazing people together, which is wonderful. Oh, I'm certainly... so honored to be a Red Cloak because I, I just think that it's such a very, um, it's a visceral thing. You see the Red Cloaks, you see their message, their signs, you do awesome signs and costumes, but like you see this and it's a message. You don't have to shout. You don't have to, um, you know, really do anything else, but just be there as a person. And it's, it's amazing. And then on the flip side, having now participated in it, is there a memory that stands out for you being under the cloak? I think it was the first time that I went to the state house. Um, I cried as I was walking um, with you all. I think we were walking even, maybe it was, I don't know whether it was to the subway or from the subway to the state house, but I was just so um, taken aback by my own, you know, by the strength of the, and the power that we had that, um, that I, I was really emotional. And, um, you know, it was just solidified at that point, because I think, you know, again, whether you 
you see these people and you react in a negative way or a positive way, you're still reacting. It's like, it's like a stark piece of art, you know, that, that like, you can't just walk by it and go, eh, you know, who cares? You have a reaction. And I think, you know, to be part of producing that is really powerful. Martha, how about you? Well, the first time I saw, I saw you, it was also in Concord. You were, Mar and there were so many. I think there were like 30. And you were going, it's called the Mans, I think. And it was snowing. And I had, I, I ran and took pictures. And then I got in my car because you were walking towards the the house that is on the top of the mound. So I ran to my car I and I drove to to the other side and I took more pictures and then I do I did a Facebook live and everybody back home in, in Mexico, in Texas, in Florida, in Puerto Rico, there were I got so many responses and they were like, this is, this is your thing. I know, I know you and everybody is like, you found your thing. And I know, and I told them, yes, I, I know. And I contacted, um, you said something and I'm like, I want to be a red cloak. I want to be one of you. And so now I'm here. Well, I want to awesome. be one of the group. <laughs> well, it's a big group now and it's it's interesting to when we do these events, we don't get to talk very much because we're very quiet and so a lot of people had asked us to talk more, which is really where the podcast comes from because since we are actively now partnering to work on Passage of the Row Act, it gives a great opportunity and I know I certainly in these conversations in the podcast I'm learning lots about strong women. I have already enjoyed having the pleasure of your company, but I haven't always known how you got here and what, what you were doing, you know, on the side when you weren't under the cloak. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much for making time to have this conversation today. And we look forward to talking to other teens. It's been very helpful to hear even from a couple to start thinking about what does it look like when you're a teen, bring your mind back to that space, when your big pressures of your day were getting your homework done and making sure that you had done your chores or getting out of doing your chores and that probably very few teens are planning intentionally to become pregnant. And it's something we wanna think about as we look at our laws that are on the books right now and avoiding you know, a school to prison pipeline by sending people to court to judges for healthcare. Yeah. So, all right, well, another wonderful conversation. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you, you too. Thank you, bye, see you later.